Hello and welcome along to the Labrokes Racing Club podcast, first edition. Dan Cobby here with you and joining us today is champion trainer, Chris Waller. Chris, thanks for joining us here for the first edition. How are you, first of all, and how are things coming along for the spring? Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Dan. Um, and it's an exciting time of the year going into any carnival, in particular the spring. There's so much to look forward to, some good horses coming back, um, some horses that haven't been touched or barely scratched the surface, and most of all, some fantastic racing and sport. We'll touch on the spring in depth a little bit later on, but just first of all, um, we're four or five months into the Labrokes Racing Club now, and you're one of the first trainers to jump on board. What uh, what attracted you to, to jump on board with us? Uh, it's just great to see um, the, the betting side of the industry reinvesting and committing um, to what's an amazing sport, um, touching the product firsthand, obviously the horse, um, and behind the scenes, getting the horse to the races, which gives, I guess, the investors the product to, to, to gamble on. And it's not just gambling that we follow the sport for, it's obviously the, the interest and the participation. So um, to me, it was just a show of a total commitment behind um, a big entity that uh, is fully committed to an industry that's thriving. Um, and it brings so much of an entertainment perspective. It gives you that thrill, um, the excitement, and anyone can play racing. It's as simple as that. doesn't matter what age you are, uh, your nationality, your gender, your religion. <clears throat> On a racetrack, we're all the same. You're spot on when you say that, and I guess our commitment, you know, it is strong to the racing industry, and I guess there's that cohesion now between two parties that probably weren't necessarily there previously, but I guess more broadly, where are you seeing the industry at now in 2023 as to opposed, say, 20 years ago when you first came across to Australia? Look, I think in Australia, um, dare I say it, uh, we've probably been a little bit spoiled. Um, there's a big investment um, from wagering, and we've got good administrators. The money funnels back to prize money. Um, we put on a good show, a good product. And um, But now is when you can see that things have probably reached their peak. And now we've got to look after the customer, um, whether it be me as a trainer and my fellow trainers, making sure we're providing the right content, um, giving the investors the utmost confidence uh in what we do so i think now's the time going into 23 or well into 23 that we've got to make sure we thank those and give those people investing in us the best we possibly can so there's a there's a big array of things that we can do but most of all is be up front give content and um, put on a really good display speaking of good displays and going back to more exciting times i guess only a couple of weeks ago with Fangirl, uh, she, she reached the 150 milestone for you. How important was it to, to, I guess, get that milestone, but not only get the milestone, but to do it in the famous Cerise Colours, who, of course, have been <laughs> such great supporters of yours? Yeah, that was very special. Uh, Mr. Ingham and the family came to me before I had before I had one group one winner. Um, it was a bit of a shock at the time, but I was like a few of the young trainers coming through now. I was recognised. I was given the opportunity to take things further. And we grabbed it with two hands and through having an amazing team uh, around Australia, 
uh, it's just been one, two, three, all the way to 150. So, yeah, we ended the season on 149. Um, there was a bit of, um, I guess, people expecting us to get it last year. Uh, instead, they had to wait the new racing season, but we got off the mark straight away with a quick single. So <laughs> that was good. It was exciting. And um, uh, it's just business as usual now. Obviously, we're looking for 151. And through the spring, steadily build on that. It's a great time of the year, and that's what we're focused on, is just continuing to build. You spoke about teamwork there, and I guess a, a team have been heavily involved throughout your whole career, but in particular with a, a horse that contributed so much to the 150, and that is Winks. What's life like for you now and the team post-Winks? Yeah, Winks was very special. Um, she was number 50, Dan, and then she was number 100, and then we won <clears throat> the Winks being the 150, so it's quite ironic and typical of Winks to pop her head up. Um, it was a game changer for our team, simple as that. We hadn't been under that pressure before. We we hadn't realised that the media was so important and portraying every single minute of Winks's life, um, as well as the following she was gaining, not just uh, in racing, but sport and then globally. So it just took us on a ride that we weren't really trained for, but um, we were thrusted into it. And I guess like any team playing well or an individual, whether it be Wimbledon or wherever they may, may be, you're coming through the rounds, you're steadily building the momentum gains and you learn as you go. So it was an amazing ride. Post-Winks, um, it planted out there for a little bit. We were, we were overwhelmed by um, what she did to our lives and the pressure we were under and myself, Huey, um, and the team were a bit flat there for, I guess, a good six months. Um, but we've steadily found new focuses and new challenges. And that's the beauty of racing. There's so much to look forward to. That's sport. Um, you might have a team, a wooden spoon team in, a, in, your, in whatever sport you play. And all of a sudden you can be going through that same momentum the following season with a premiership winning team or a flag winning team. So... That's, that's the beauty of Australia. There's so much opportunity. We saw so much great success, Chris, with Winks, but I guess post-Winks as well, along came a horse by the name of Nature Strip, and I guess he was important in a different way because he, I guess, conquered new heights for you personally by heading over to Royal Ascot and winning there. How important is the global stage, and how important was that victory to, to do it there at Royal Ascot in front of those people? Um, it was it was very good. Uh, it was exciting. It was important. We needed to do it. We got a little bit of uh negativity from not traveling winks but had we traveled winks i doubt we would have got the fourth cox plate um and the longevity that we got through her so right on the heels of winks to take nature strip over there it was it was very good not just for myself personally but james mcdonald um my team they had an amazing time the strappers the people involved and um, the followers, the owners of the horse, and even Australia, it was just that feel-good story to me looking looking, looking outside. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we were, we were welcomed with open arms. I think the rest of the world wanted to see Australia's sprinters do well, and doing it and seeing him win with that authority, it was pretty special. So it was, yeah, it was important for me personally. Um, it, gave, it gives you that recognition from your peers overseas that you get to know um, through various events and to go over there, win one of their races. Um, it was really important. 
That leads me perfectly on to the next question, Chris. You spoke about peers. And it wasn't that long ago that you and I were, were in the trainer's room at Randwick speaking to William Haggis. And I know you've recently visited Coolmore and, and Valley Doyle. How much do you learn from, from people like that? And I guess it's, it's one of the cases that you just never stop learning, do you? No, you don't stop learning. And that's, look, racing is an amazing network. It's as simple as that. There's so many um, respected people, uh, whether they be in the administration, whether they be owners, whether they be um, influencers of whatever nature they may be. But um, you get to meet so many great people, in particular the trainers or the coaches. And it'd be no different from a, I guess, a AFL coach chatting with an NRL coach or a rugby union coach or a soccer coach. Um, you talk the same language, you understand the same issues, you deal with the same problems, and that's um, losing and success. And it's just great to be able to be on the same page and talk to someone that's often the best in their jurisdiction and I've had the, the 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 pleasure of meeting a lot of people from different countries, and yeah, just touching base. I think it gives you confidence more than anything, and you can pick up the phone, and occasionally you'll get a phone call from them, and it makes you feel pretty special. And you can bounce off ideas, you can talk about issues, and they don't seem to be a major issue. They seem to be good good things that you can discuss and get on with, and take a positive out of. We've seen a lot of great changes in recent years, but I, I want to get your thoughts on, I guess, the rise of New South Wales, especially leading into this time of year, and I guess the, the rise of the Everest. How important has that been to the industry? And, and I guess you can you can speak firsthand, being the leading trainer in New South Wales, and, and not only that, also winning the Everest and the Golden Eagle. It's a little bit hard for me to get my head around because I came over here in 2000, and the talk was a little negative around how racing was going, the crowds were declining, wagering was declining. And come around 2004, I remember that we got together at each training centre with a strategic plan. And I guess, although I'd only been in Australia four years, we've heard ideas, we've heard negativity, and we get pulled into this room and this chap called Peter Volandis sits us down and says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. We all walked away saying, well, wonder how long this bloke will last and wonder, wonder if anything he said will be true. But I actually pulled it out the other day, and it's amazing. Um, prize money's gone up 400% since 2004. They were racing for 40000 on a Saturday. They're racing for 160 minimum on a Saturday now. Now, not only the city, but the provincial have these these race days worth sort of, I don't think, they Kimble on a Saturday, they're racing close to 40,000. They have super maidens, they have this, they have that, provincial championships. The country, they're running for big prize money too, close to 30,000 uh, every race. They have country championships, million dollar races. So it's been across the board. Now for everybody, not just country and provincial, the city trainers can run in these, the Everests, uh, the Golden Eagles and they're just life-changing races. Um, you win the Everest, um, you're set up for life. You win the, the Golden Eagle, it's the same. Um, and the seconds and thirds, fourths, and the prize money's huge. And then you get the the um, the aspect where charity gets, I think, a million dollars from the Golden Eagle goes to charity. The Everest, of course, is a different type of concept, smart, because the racing doesn't, the racing industry doesn't have to put anything in. It's the, the slot holders to put the money up, um, and then there's a sponsor, 
and I guess the Australian Turf Club put in a bit of money as well, and maybe New South, Racing New South Wales do as well. But um, pretty smart idea, and that creates competition. You get the All Star Mile, you get um, you get the VRC putting on the championships at the end of their carnival, and what a great success that was at the end. Uh, you get the Caulfield Cup going up to five million dollars. Um, the Cox, the Ladbrokes Cox Plate. Uh, I think Winks when she the first. The first three years she won it, I think it was worth $2 million, not, not complaining, uh, but it hadn't gone up for, say, 10 or so years. All of a sudden, it's worth $5 million. I think that was the new uh, sponsor, why? Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the new sponsor, Ladbroke, coming on board for the fourth. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. It's competition. It gets new people involved, and Ladbrokes is a great example. Um, they want to be a part of it. They they know we've, you've got to you've got to stay with the times. You've got to build. You've got to make sure the customers are, are getting what they want. And competition's an amazing thing. So racing New South Wales has thrusted that out there. Victoria prior to that had done that, done a great job as well. And um, and look, you see, you can see um, Queensland going ahead. Their prize money's gone up. There's good positivity up there. South Australia's carnival's gone up. Western Australia, they're doing the same, and I guess the territories are as well. So where does it start? Well, I think New South Wales would, would be putting their hands up for, for a bit of um, bit of accolade and, and, and a bit of respect. But all in all, that's Australia. Um, there is good in competition, and I think the participants and the people that follow racing are the winners. I can hear the excitement in your voice in regards to – yeah, the carnival upcoming, and as you said, it's it's not just New South Wales and Victoria. There's so many great carnivals right around Australia. But I guess a a jurisdiction that's probably struggled in recent years is New Zealand, your your home country. How important is the New Zealand industry to to I guess marry up with Australia and and I guess to the the bigger ecosystem in racing as well? How important are they? Look, it's so important, and um, I think the Melbourne Cup. The staying races, the derbies, the Oaks. Um, that's been New Zealand's success and probably Australia's success because they've been able to back um, their investments through getting horses out of New Zealand and winning these big races. New Zealand's nursery for horses is second to none. It's that good, clean living, um, the temperate climate. Look, don't get me wrong, Australia breeds champion after champion, but New Zealand with their stayers is 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 arguably second to none. Um, they've dropped away because they haven't had that investment in mares, bloodstock, um, and stallions. Australia's been playing them off a break and 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 clearly succeeding. So that needs change. Now, what's what's driving that? Well, that's investment and that's prize money. And we saw it. We've seen in New South Wales and Victoria um, the introduction of. Bob schemes, um, better prize money, big races. It quickly um, spins around, goes through the cycle. Yearlings make more money. Mares get purchased, go to better stallions. Um, and it's just a, a cycle that just continues to revolve. So I see, I see New Zealand's um, racing going ahead quickly because of that. And you don't need much. Um, to create that positive feel. Racing is a feel-good story anyway. People want to succeed. They want to do well. They want to win the big races. But if they're worth more money, more people want to do it. It's as simple as that. So in Australia in the recent years, we've been depending on 
uh, European horses because their nursery is fantastic as well. The only difference between the European horses is they can't win our Oaks and Derbies because they're six months younger. Um, and a two-year-old in England or Ireland or the Northern Hemisphere becomes three here. Um, they can't win our Oaks and Derbies. We've got at least four Group 1 Oaks, at least four Group 1 Derbies in Australia. That's eight Group 1 races. They've all got lead-ups. They're all over basically 2,000 metres and further. Um, yet Australia concentrates on, on sprinting milers because uh, we've learnt to depend on New Zealand. So New Zealand to thrive uh, will be a good thing for Australia. It'll, it'll mean there'll be more horses coming here, unfortunately, for New Zealand. But in saying that, if the prize money's good, and we saw that sort of 10 years ago when their derby went up to a couple of million, um, they were retaining horses. They weren't selling horses to Hong Kong as quick. Keeping the stars in your local scene is important. And, and you might even see a few uh, Australian horses go over there for their summer series of racing, which will be exciting. And I, as a trainer, am certainly looking forward to going back to New Zealand and taking a couple of good horses. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think there's certainly exciting times going forward in New Zealand and hopefully they can retain some staff and, and the better horses and the participants, the stars of the show. So looking forward to following their progress. I just want to come back uh, a little bit closer to home, Chris. Complacency is one thing that's probably never accepted and it's certainly never accepted in, in your business and I guess the way that you train. But why now for Macedon? Why, why now in 2023 leading into an important spring carnival have you decided to, I guess, change things up? Um, it's all about getting fitness into horses and getting the best out of horses and recovery. And the more natural you can do things, the better. So I see Macedon as being 700 metres above sea level, level. So you get a bit of a altitude training type effect. Uh, it's good clean air. Uh, and a horse's lungs are so important. So that's just one small thing. Um, secondly, getting that fitness in up, up a hill is a lot easier on your legs. Speed uh, is where you get your injuries, um, whether it be driving a car, whether it be um, running as an athlete or a, a sporting um, person, in particular a racehorse. 500 kilos going 70-plus kilometres an hour with 60 kilos on their back around a circle on a flat track that brings injuries. So we've got to try and eliminate wastage, um, ensure we're getting our horses fitter, we're keeping the best horses racing for longer. And I see Macedon as a very important part of that. It's hard to replicate. We've thought about doing it, and we've got one of the biggest businesses in the industry. But for me to build Macedon in Sydney, where our main base is, um, you'd be talking $100 million. Mm. And that's a huge investment over a long time, and it puts a lot of pressure um, but to be able to utilise a, um, a facility like that, and well done to Victoria. They've got trace places like Ballarat, um, Cranbourne, um, and other private facilities. But to do that in Sydney, the cost is huge. So there's so many positives. Um, recovery is important. So our horses that will race on a Saturday will will get on a truck, go to Master on a Sunday. They'll get out into a field paddock graze naturally, which is a, another thing to discuss about. I won't bore the audience, <laughs> but um, gut health and little things like that are so important. So we're seeing these carnivals go longer, um, and that's what the, 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 the industry want. They want to see, the people following racing want to see the clashes of your nature strips, your giga kicks, um, 
uh, your black caviars, your hay lists. Yeah, they want to see them not just twice a year. They want to see them four times a year. They want to get as much of these good horses as they can. So there's negativity to say, well, we've got Sydney now and the Everest is here. But, hey, you can see these horses also challenge in the championships, the final day of Flemington Cup week. Um, you'll see them clashing on Cox Plate Day. Um, and now even further on into the into November, there's Group 1 races sort of two-thirds away at Caulfield in November. Um, so we're going to have, have these horses racing from basically mid-August all the way through to mid-November and then a quick turnaround to have them ready for your All-Star Miles, your your Ranvets, your Doncasters, your, your, your Ranwick, Rosehill Guineas, your Derbies. Um, so these horses are going to be racing a lot more because the prize money's there. And the carnivals are longer, and we've got to do everything we can to keep them healthy, safe, and getting to them to these destinations. You've got me up and about now talking about good horses and, and good races, Chris. Um, springs upon us. Um, who should we be looking out for? Who are sort of three main contenders for you in the next couple of months? Um, it's interesting one. We've got Shinzo. He won the Golden Slipper. I think he won the Slipper just on raw ability. Um, we saw that with like, horses like Sapiro, and they – they came back and were even better at three. So that's where I hope to see Shinzo, um, Golden Rose, possibly an Everest, possibly down to, to Melbourne after that um, for a, uh, a Coolmore. Um, Militarise. He's won two Group 1 races by panels. 1,400-metre size into the Champagne. Big spaces. Joe Marrera. Um, has that international following. I couldn't believe it when Joe was here in Sydney. Um, he was a superstar, and that's the following that worldwide sport has, and it's so important to get these big jockeys as well as our great jockeys. You're Damien Oliver. He's the Frankie Dottori of Australia. His last carnival. We want to have horses for, for Damien to ride. Uh, so a horse like Militarise, you'll probably see him run in the Golden Rose, Caulfield Guineas, and perhaps a Cox Plate. Um, we know he runs a strong mile as a two-year-old. Will he get the 2040 in the Ladbrokes Cox Plate? Cox plate? So um, uh, there's a couple to look forward to. And then you've got the up-and-coming stars, a, a horse like Kandinsky, abstract. I think he's only won one race, but he's a star in my eyes. Um, Fangirl, she's already a Group 1 winner now. She'll go to the King, the King Charles uh, and then probably down to the championships the last day at Flemington for the mile race there. Um, you name it, there's plenty plenty to look forward to, as well as you've got two-year-olds starting back in October. So there's the new wave coming through. If there was one race you were to win this spring carnival, Chris, what would it be? Because it used to be, obviously, the Melbourne Cup, especially because, you know, you know with the New Zealand connection for you personally, but the, the Cox Plate's probably the best weight for age race, and now you've got the Everest. If you had to, to label one race, what would you want to win this year? Oh, putting money aside, I think Cox Plate, still, it's still number one for a trainer. Um, that, the Melbourne Cup was, was really special, was very elegant. I hadn't realised how many people it reached. I knew it's a race that stops the nation. Everybody around talks about it around the world. Um, but the the recognition that we got for winning it was just unparalleled. The, um, the people from just general radio stations, TVs, I've just never seen anything like it. And that was through Winx's career as well. So 
Um, that's obviously a big deal, but the pure racing is weight for age. And um, any weight for age race means you've got the best horse, regardless of age, at that distance on that day. And so the Cox Plate's so important. The pathway through, the horse just doesn't find form Cox Plate Day. They've normally won two or three of their lead-up races. Um, it means you've got a good horse next year. It'll often be the, the Australia Horse of the Year. Um, that's a big deal. Um, as, is, as is every race, every Group 1 race, these pop-up races. But um, the pure weight for age, uh, the Cox Plate will do it for me if we happen to win one this year. Well, Chris, uh, I know you've had a lot of stars along the way, but for me personally, I would have to think this is the, the greatest year for you in recent years where you've got so much ammo across so many different areas. And uh, look, I know it's a busy time for you, so we really thank you for joining us today and, and of course, being part of the Labrokes Racing Club as well. No, absolute pleasure. And well done to Labrokes for what you're doing. Um, you're going to take racing into the future and others will follow.